We're going to begin in verse 14. We'll go to verse 21. If you have your Bibles, I do encourage you to get them on out. Follow along. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen for you to follow along as well. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, verse 14 and following. I myself am satisfied you am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyceria, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never heard, who have never been told of him, will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Spirit, illuminate the word of God to the praise and glory of the Father. Amen. So today we mark the beginning of the conclusion of the book of Romans. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, the the tone will very dramatically shift as we get into verse 14. Uh, and, and just to simply point it out to you, we see in the body of the letter, uh, the body of the letter really starts in chapter 1, verse 18, and it goes all the way to chapter 15, verse 13. That's largely considered the body of this letter, the place where Paul will give his most purposeful instruction. Uh, and in the body, we approach the text in a particular way. We, we look at it as if we were students being taught by Paul. So as we would think of a classroom setting, we're being instructed. He's giving us information. He's explaining certain things. Um, but relatively speaking, we are receiving what Paul has distilled for us to understand. But once we get into the conclusion, and what, we see this a little bit in, in the introductions to Paul's letters and to the other letters of the New Testament, but once we get into the conclusion, we have this, this very very typical for Paul uh, change where he, he drops the uh, teaching aspect of his ministry, and most of the time he kind of turns inward and he starts to examine himself. He's, uh, he's going to share information about what he's doing, where he's at, what he's planning. We'll see in next week's text, verses 22 to the end of the chapter, that he's planning on going to Spain and he's going to stop by uh, Rome on the way to Spain, and that's kind of his intention. But it becomes 
very much uh, inward focused, which then shifts the way we have to look at the book. We have to think differently about these passages versus the passages that we have looked at in uh, the body. In the body, we pretty much listen to what Paul says and try to apply it into our current context. In the conclusion, when Paul's kind of looking at himself and and making observations about himself or about his ministry or about the church, we kind of have to observe and pull for principles. And then, and only then, can we rightly take those principles and apply them to ourselves. We'll see this a little bit at the end in verses 20 uh, and 21. We'll see that we can't necessarily apply this directly to ourselves. We have to say it about himself. And then we can, and then, and only then can we, uh, you know, pull out a principle for ourselves. Now I say all this because I believe if we, if you turn to First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter two, you don't have to turn there if you if you don't want to, but if you have your Bibles and you like sword drills, and turn to Second Peter chapter one verse three, uh, verse three and four, we we read this: His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and experience, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through him, through them, excuse me, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And to give you the three-second interpretation of what Peter is talking about in Second Peter, we have been given everything that we need to know and understand God. One of them is the scriptures. The, the other thing that we have to say when we say that is that we have the full ability because of the spirit of God dwelling in us to understand this in itself. Meaning, you don't need me. And I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the, a preacher of the word of God and my job is not to give you the information. My job largely is to get you out of the way. A lot of times we are we are unaware of things around. But that's that's my purpose. But you have the same ability to know and understand Scripture uh, for yourselves in your own personal reading of the Bible. Now, I don't think that we should abandon uh, meeting together, as the author to the Hebrews tells us not to do. Uh, but my point is, is that you can pick up the Bible and know and understand it. And what I want to do is I always want to be giving you the tools needed uh, to best understand it. And so... All that being said, let's jump into our text. The first thing that we need to do, because we are examining uh, Paul's kind of introspection here, his thinking of himself, is we need to know what he's saying about himself, and then, and only then, will we turn to what does this say about us, or what can we pull that will teach us, instruct us. In verse uh, 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. As always, when Paul says my brothers, especially when you're reading out of an ESV uh, or, or a similar translation, he doesn't mean just the men and he doesn't mean just his male siblings. He means the, the congregation of believers, Christians. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now, one thing that we'll learn, and I believe it's in next week's passage, that Paul is not the planter of the church in Rome. This is one of the reasons why Paul has never visited Rome. He will, he'll, he'll kind of talk about that in verses 20 and 21, and then the 
the following section. He, he rather is just writing to the church in Rome for a particular reason, which is verse 15. But the first thing that he says is, I, I myself, I, Paul, I look at you, church in Rome, and I am, I am greatly satisfied. I am, I am happy at what I see. I see good and godly people who care about the word of God and who are growing in their faith and growing in their walk and are growing with each other and are able to instruct and teach. And it's super exciting. Paul says, I'm satisfied with you. Now, I want to point out that Paul, in a a lot of ways, uses this type of motivation to motivate what he's actually talking about in his letter. And to give you a counterexample, if you, if you would study the book of Galatians, Paul is, he's mad in the book of Galatians. And he's mad because they should know better and they don't. And not only do they not know better, but they are corrupting the gospel truth. And Paul's like, you should know better and you shouldn't be corrupting. And he's, he's upset about it. And so he, he raves it's a, it's a rage, the, the letter to the Galatians. It's, he's, he is fired up. He is mad. How dare you corrupt the gospel? And this is what motivates him. It's his, it's his realization that they're not full of goodness and they're not, they're not able to teach each other and, and so on and so forth. Or the letter to the Philippians. He's, in, he's imprisoned and they're very concerned about him. He sees that they, very much like the church in Rome, they're, they're doing a lot of things right and they're they're serving the Lord and they're serving each other. It's very good. Or the churches, uh, the two letters to the Corinthians, they, they kind of get it, but there's a lot of cultural things that are tearing them down. And so this motivates his, his writing. And Paul says, I, I'm satisfied in you. As I look at you and I see your church and I see what you're doing, it's, it's a good thing. But he goes on in verse 15. He's like, but, but there's a realization, right? There's, there's a realization we're not perfect. You guys are doing a great job. I'm satisfied in your growth. I'm satisfied in what was begun here. And, 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 and yet there's still that realization that we, we're not perfect. There are some things that are, that are issues that could fracture the church in Rome, could cause great divisions among you, namely the things that we tap in, in chapters 12, 13, and 14. These things that are starting to, to push a wedge between the brothers and sisters in Rome. Some eat this, some don't eat this. Some worship on this day, some worship on this day. Paul, for a couple chapters, like he says, he speaks very boldly. Verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly. If we just turn back in the book, just one or two pages, we see that bold language by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Verse 16, to be ministers to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now this, this is interesting to me. Paul says, I'm, I'm satisfied. I see good things happening in the church and I'm very happy about those good things that are happening in the church. But I also recognize that there are there's still broken people in, in a broken world in your broken church. And so I've spoken to you very boldly. And to, just for a second, try to, try to mirror what Paul has said to this church. We can say the same thing. 
as I look at this church and I, I go, man, it's so exciting to be a part of this church. I look around and I can say with, with the same clarity and with the same exact understanding, I am, I am satisfied at, the, at the, the love and the compassion that we have for each other in this church. In the pursuit of knowledge and understanding of the word of God. And not only that, the, the desire and the ability to instruct one another. I was actually talking with my brother this, this past week, and, and I, I had mentioned a verse to him just out of his own, just the way the conversation was going. I said, you know, that Christ tells us that the, the harvest is full, but the labor, laborers are few. That there's, there's always so much more to do. And I look at this church and I go, you know what, We're, we are blessed in this church to have so many people who care and love each other so much that they're willing to take time through the week to prepare, teach Sunday schools, teach Bible studies. It's exciting. It's, and, and to use the word that Paul uses, it's satisfying. But there's a reality that we're not perfect. We're not there. And there were times whenever a particular passage comes up, and, and I hope that in the past I've never shied away from being harsh not for the sake of being harsh, but for the sake of growth. Paul's not bold because he wants to be bold. Paul's bold because he has to be bold. Paul's bold because he knows that if he's not, there's danger. I'm satisfied, but I know that there are things that we can work on. But what will be quite confusing about this passage is that in just a second, Paul's going to tell us that he hasn't come to Rome or, or, or the reason why he hasn't come to Rome or, the, or, or what, what maybe his, his, his life's ambition, to use his words, is, is that he preaches to people who have never heard the gospel. And in a lot of ways, what Paul does in the book of Romans is he writes out a very profound sermon to preach to those who have already heard the gospel. So what is Paul really getting at? Paul looks at this situation, he says, here's something, here's something that I see and I, I, I know and, and, and is, is part of who I am. He says, he says, because of the grace, verse 15, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So many of us know the story of Paul's conversion, Paul and the in the book of Acts, chapter 9, if, you've, if you don't know the story, I, I encourage you to go read the whole book of, of, of Acts. But in Acts, chapter 9, Paul, who at this point he's named Saul, it's his Hebrew name, he's, he's persecuting the church, and he, and he goes, and he's going to Damascus, and he wants to, he wants to find these Christians who are corrupting the, the good Jewish beliefs, and he's going to take them back and probably going to put them to death. And this is his mission. He's, he's zealous for it. He's, he's, he's really jazzed up about it. He's on his way. He's on a... He's, he's on his way, and, and all of a sudden, here comes Christ. Bright light from the skies, knocks him down. He's, he's blinded by the light. I mean, literally, he's blinded by the lights. It's many days before he, he's, he sees again. And Christ says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, and Paul has this personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in this encounter, he says, you're going to be my minister to the Gentiles. Don't we all want to call like that, right? To have Christ in the flesh shine in a light into our eyes and audibly speak to us. 
It's what Paul has, right? Because Paul's unique. Paul's special. And, and what Paul understands this ministry to be is, I think, twofold. Number one, he is to go and to preach the gospel message to those who have never heard it. Paul kind of takes the understanding of what Gentiles are, and he, he pulls from it a, a deeper principle. He says, okay, I'm going to go to these non-Jewish people, which is what Gentiles mean. Which, if you're a non-Jewish person, you, you typically don't know anything about uh, the Jewish faith or the Jewish God, Yahweh. And, and he goes, okay, I'm the minister to the Gentiles. I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim to people who don't know this. And that's my job. That's my role. That's my calling. But more than that, what Paul says is he says that that the gift given to me to be able to do this is not just to proclaim the gospel, but it's also to present those Gentiles, those who have never heard it, as a sacrifice acceptable to the Lord. So here's what I think God has done. God gives to Paul the Gentiles so that Paul can give them back to the Lord. Now, I use that phraseology purposefully, and it might be a little bit confusing, but I, I think as we look at what Paul says next, it'll make a little bit more sense. Paul's purpose in writing the letter was not to create or not to share the gospel new with the church in Rome, but it was to, it was to continue the work of sanctification in the Romans through the Holy Spirit. And he goes forth, he goes further in verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And many of us, when we think about that, we oh, pride comes before the fall. Pride is bad. It's one of the seven deadly sins, right? It's this very bad thing. We shouldn't be proud people. But Paul, he's not proud in the way we think of pride. He's proud in something else. And this creates a tension. This this conversation about pride creates a tension. He does the same thing. I think it's in 2 Corinthians. He has a much longer dialogue, or a monologue rather, about, about his pride, about what he has done. He says, I'm proud of my work for God. Pride, I think most of us by definition would say, pride is, is whenever you think of yourself. You think of the things that you've done and it's, it's all about you. You're important. You're special. You're doing it. But what does Paul say immediately in verse 18? He says, I'm proud of my work. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. He says, it's my work. But I'm not going to speak of anything except what Christ has done through me. It's what I've done, but only what Christ has done through me. It seems to be kind of double speak in a little bit, in, in, in some ways. He says one thing, and then he immediately says something that almost seems to be a complete contradiction. He goes on, by the way, in verse 19, and he says, By power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, excuse me, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Lyceum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. There it is again. He says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. But what did he just say? He says, no, no. He said, I'm proud of my work, the work that Christ did through me, the work that the Holy Spirit does through me, that that a message. 
I think I think sometimes we we associate false pride with humility. Let me say that the right way. I think we associate false humility with pride, or we don't associate false humility with pride. See what we what we often do is say, "Oh no no no, it, it wasn't." No oh, no no no, and we and we push attention away from ourselves. We go, "Oh that's that's humility." Not necessarily. Sometimes that's the most prideful thing that we can do. Where we, oh, no, 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 don't talk about me, don't talk about me, don't. See, Paul here, he goes, what I, what I notice, what Paul notices is that it's, it's not his work. And without Christ and without the Holy Spirit, none of this would happen in his life. As evidenced by his life when he called himself Saul. In fact, he was the complete opposite person. He, he was a persecutor of the church, not an expander of the church. He wanted to minimize the church, not expand it. Paul says, without the Spirit of God, without the work of Christ in my life, none of this would happen. But it is still God's grace given to him. It is a gift that he has received to go and to do this. And so by denying the gift, in some sense, and in some ways, and in some people, we deny Christ. If I say, no, 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 it, it's, it's not me. I'm not, I have no part in it. Sometimes what we're doing, and I'm not saying that this is all the time, but sometimes what we're doing is we're saying that God hasn't done anything through me. That Christ hasn't done any work in me. And so Paul, he walks this very strange and fine line between this realization that what he has done, and it is, in fact, he who has done it, is a gift from God. And so then maybe we start to ask this question as we, as we find out what Paul exactly is saying here. We, we think of this, this question, what, what exactly is the gift in my life? Now let, me, let me try to make something very clear, and I'll say it probably 25 more times before I finish the sermon. If you are a believer, if you, if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, God has a, has a, has a task for you. He has, he has given you a gift for the, the growth and the expansion of the kingdom of God. Every single person. Now, sometimes those things are more obvious than others. That is something that we have to recognize. Some gifts are visible, some are not. But if we were to talk about Visibility, and we're going to use the metaphor that Paul uses with the body. The body has many members. If we were to say the only important, only important things are the visible ones, we'd all be dead because none of us would have a heart. Sometimes invisible is more important than the visible. Sometimes the invisible is what moves us and drives us and gives us passion and gives us desire. Paul says, I've been given a gift, and I am proud of the gift that God has has given to me because of the work that he has done through me. So before we go to this last, these last few words here in verses 20 and 21, I, I'm going to again pose this question, what are the gifts in your own life? He says, I have fulfilled of Christ. In verse 20. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, 
Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Again, we are examining Paul's kind of inward reflection. So we don't take this and place it upon ourselves. We don't say that I can only tell people about Jesus who have never heard about Jesus. That would be that would be a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. In fact, Paul commissions both Titus and Timothy and I think Sylvanus and a number of others that we hear mentioned in, in actually in, in Acts chapter or Romans chapter 16, excuse me. He he commissions these people to go and to continue the work in the place that he planted. So Paul's job, Paul's call, Paul's Paul's gift from God is to plant churches and to tell people about Jesus who have never heard about Jesus. That's Paul's calling. But Timothy and Titus, for example, Timothy, he sent he sent to, I believe, both Ephesus and Corinth to continue the work, to build on the foundation that Paul first laid. Paul in no way is diminishing the importance of Titus and Timothy and others. He's just simply saying, I myself... Know my role. Know my task. Know my grace. My gifts given to me. He says, I will make it my ambition to preach the gospel. So here's, here's the flow of what Paul has just said. He says, I look at you Romans who I didn't found. Look at you Romans, I'm... I'm satisfied. I'm happy about you. But I know there are a few things that you need to continue to work on. And so I spoke to you. I wrote very boldly about these things. I'm satisfied, but I also know there's continued work. And I'm going to continue that work because my calling is to preach to those who have never heard it and to continue to aid the work of sanctification in the lives of the Gentiles, to be Presented as a sacrifice to the Lord. To be given back to the Lord as a gift to Him. And all of this, I see happening in my life. And I am confirmed in what I believe to be my mission. I see that from Jerusalem to Lycerium, which is a, a, a town far away from Jerusalem, by the way. The other end of the world, essentially. That I have traveled from Jerusalem, I've traveled all around, I've planted churches, and I've seen that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit have worked through my life to fulfill the ministry that Christ gave me on the road to Damascus. And because of this, because of what I have seen, I will continue to make it my life's ambition to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. Let me say it simpler. Paul says, I was given a mission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I have done that, and I have seen the Lord's confirmation of that, and so I will continue to do it. Many of us do not know what God has gifted us with. Many of us don't. And probably all of us in this room would go, uh, it would be a lot easier if we were all like Paul and received this audible speaking and we would be blind for a couple weeks to remind us of it. It's not how it works. 
Paul, again, he is an apostle. He, is, he was set aside to be one of very few that will receive that very important calling because his mission, his ministry was so in, incredibly important. I mean, think about how important Paul is. Do, do, walk out of this room for a second in your minds and go to, your, go to history class. And you have to realize that even if you're a secular, even if you completely disagree with every doctrine of Christian faith, you cannot in any way say that Paul didn't change the world. You can't, you can't argue that Christianity hasn't affected human history. It absolutely has. And Paul, besides Christ, is probably the second most influential person in all of Christian history. Maybe tied with Moses or Abraham for a close second. Well, probably more than a close second. Paul is monstrously important. And, and so he had to have a monstrously uh, important calling. All of us, yes, I believe that we are monstrously important to God's work in our lives and God's work in the lives of people around us. I do believe that. It's different. To give you, to give you an example from my own life, some people have asked me in the past, well, why did you, become, why did you go into ministry? Did you know? Was there, was there an aha moment? No, there wasn't. There was no aha moment. There, were, there was a bunch of ah moments. Bunch of sort ofs that kind of led me down the path that God had for me, which is for for all. I think most most of us this is how how it is. In fact, I think Missy and I were engaged. This has been like twelve years ago. Missy and I were engaged, and we were going boating with the Gerber family, and we were driving down. I forget maybe going to Salt Forks. It was like an hour drive or whatever. We were actually listening to Doctor David, David Jeremiah, and I turned to Missy and I said, "Maybe I should do this," and she went, "Oh yeah." And then it, that was it for a while. That was it for a while. And, and, and then I miserably, miserably failed out of computer engineering. And I, and I think that was God's hand. I think he made me fail. <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't blame my own failings on God. That got my attention. And so I decided, you know what, I think, I think this is something. This is just a little thing in the back of my head. And so... I said, okay, well, I'm going to pursue this a little bit. And, and, and not to go into the story, but, but it was very difficult. There was conflict. There was pain. There was, there was struggle to do, to even take any steps towards ministry. And, and so I went to Malone, and I went for sports ministry because I thought, that sounds right. And I think what God was doing is, okay, that's close enough. And he got me to Malone, and I started going to Malone, and I, and I was taking a sports ministry class, and I was going, eh, this doesn't seem right. And then I was taking a preaching class, and I went, Oh, that's what you want. And so I switched my major and I started to pursue this. And then eventually this idea in the back of my head started happening. Maybe we should plant a church. And that was all it was. Maybe it was a maybe. And pretty soon God pushed a little bit harder. And this is, I think, what God does. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to think about, I want you to think about what God has, has, has gifted you with. I do believe that God has gifted me with the, with the, the ability to, to preach, to understand Scripture and to help others understand Scripture. But of all the people in this room, I'm probably the, I'm probably the least I'm probably the least conscious of service. This is why God had me marry Missy, because she's the complete opposite of me. 
And I can tell you right now that she doesn't think it at all. And, and she's probably mad at me right now for saying this. She doesn't think that at all. But this church would not be here if it weren't for Missy. With her quiet, humble service to myself, to you, to this church. We all have a purpose to bring the kingdom of God into this world. Paul's was to preach the gospel to those who had never heard it. Mine right now is to preach to this church as long as God will have me here. Some of you will be preachers. Some of you, I'm already praying for you to become preachers. Some of you won't. You will serve the church in different ways. You'll serve the church in ways that are probably more impactful than me standing up here once a week. But my question to you is, do you trust what Peter says? That God has given you everything that you need for, for, for godliness. Here's what I think you should do. If you, if you think in any way that you know what God has called you to do, called you to be, how God has called you to serve, then do it. Go for it. And I can promise you this one thing. I can promise you this. That you will not be left abandoned. Because sometimes that's what we do. We go, oh, man, if I start doing this, and, and it's not what I'm supposed to do, God's going to just, he's going to take my feet out from underneath me. I'm going I'm to look dumb. I'm going I'm to be hated. But God doesn't leave us abandoned. We could look at the book of Acts again. We could see all the times they say, oh, we want to go here. And it says, the Holy Spirit shut the door. Oh, we want to go here. Holy Spirit shut the door. I want to go here. Holy Spirit shut the door. And finally, I want to go here. And that's where they went. And that's where they had impact. Because that was God's plan. I went to Malone for sports ministry. I've never, had, I've never done one gym class where I told any kids about, about Jesus. Because I went trusting that if it was wrong, if I was wrong, God would move me in the right direction. And he did. Paul goes to Damascus because he thinks this is right. And you know what happens? God smacks him upside the head, gets his attention, and alters the course of history through his life. And many, if not all of us, will and can and should have the same impact on this world. Might look different, might sound different, but it's not different. So, as the God of creation confirms for you your calling, make it your ambition to do it. One last thing, our faith, our faith is never blind. God has made himself known for all of human history. God has made himself known uh, to you for all of your life. Sometimes we don't see it because we're not looking, but he has. The same is true for your calling. He has shown himself to be good and faithful. And he will continue to show himself to be good and faithful. And as we pursue our, our work in the kingdom of God for his glory, he will continue to be faithful. And he'll continue to confirm us. And he'll continue to strengthen us. So, let's pursue our calling. And let's make it our ambition. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God in heaven, we thank you.
We thank you and we praise you for your work in this world. We thank you that you gave us men like Paul and Peter, the other apostles who set a foundation for us to see and to observe and to learn from. Lord, I pray that your spirit would illuminate in our hearts an understanding of what you have gifted us with. Whether it be preaching or teaching or service or generosity or exhortation or mercy. Whether we are a hand or a foot or a heart or a mouth or ears. Help us to know what you have called and and graced us with. Help us to be confirmed in this so that we would know that this is what you would have us do. So that we can with boldness, with passion, without apology, we could go forth and proclaim your truth through our actions, through our deeds, through our mouths. And we could bring your kingdom, your presence into this world to rule and to reign. Oh God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your son Jesus. We pray this in his precious and holy name.